And to Jesus be the glory today and the honor and the praise. A wonderful day and a wonderful week. And today I have a powerful teaching for you. Our position in Jesus, our life in Jesus, our victory in Jesus. All in one package. You know, we cannot discover our life in the Lord till we discover our position in the Lord. And we cannot have victory in our life till we know our life and position in the Lord. So when it comes to victory in our faith, we need to know our position and our life in Jesus. Then we can have victory in Jesus. So a very powerful teaching today. Our position, life, and victory in the Lord. Hallelujah. And I'm going to continue tomorrow and Wednesday because this is a great teaching. And I don't want to rush through it. I want you to fully understand it and see it clearly. And thank you for being my partner. I mean that with all my heart. Thank you for being my family. I've been so blessed by just being with you daily and teaching you the Word of God to strengthen you. In these difficult days, we need the strength of God's Word. Lord, I thank you for your Word. I thank you with all my heart for your Word. To you belongs the glory, all the honor, all the majesty and power. So teach us today, Lord, your word. Strengthen us in the faith. In your most wonderful name, Jesus. And God's people said, Amen. When you look at the book of Ephesians, <clears throat> we have the three revelations I just gave you. Our position, our life, our victory. So, chapter 1 to chapter 3 talks about our position. Who are we in the Lord? Chapter 4 and 5 talks about our life in the Lord. And then when you go from there to the end of the book, our victory in the Lord. So, let's look at our position. It's very important to understand this. So, Paul begins in Ephesians 1, 17, he begins with a prayer. The God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling, what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality, power and might, dominion, and every name that's named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. So in Ephesians 1, he talks about the position Jesus is in, seated in glory, far above all principality, power, might, dominion, and every name that's named. But then we have something amazing in chapter 2. In chapter 2, verse 6 says that we have been raised up together now, hath raised us up together, made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? Now, in chapter 1, Jesus is exalted, seated, 
fought above all power, principalities, dominion, and so on. And then Paul prays, I want the eyes of your understanding to be enlightened, that you may know who you are, who you are. Now he keeps writing, because this is all one letter. There were no chapters when the Bible was written. And now he says in chapter 2, that you also have been raised together, raised up together, made sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, that he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us, that we've been exalted to a position of authority through Christ Jesus. Then he says, for by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should work, should boast. So in other words, we've been given all this, not only salvation, but authority. And that position in Jesus, all by grace. By grace are you saved, through faith. This is not of yourself, God's gift to you. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. So basically, when you look at this, we begin our life seated, not standing. We begin our life resting, not fighting. So Christianity begins with a seated, resting position, not a standing, fighting position. The reason many people uh, can't seem to have victory is because they are always fighting, not realizing resting is how we fight. We fight from a resting position. We resist the devil from a seated position. This is really important. So how do we find our rest? Well, the Bible tells us in Hebrews <clears throat> chapter 4 something very beautiful about it. And in verse 1, the writer says, Let us therefore fear, I'm reading Hebrews 4 verse 1, lest a promise being left us, in other words, losing a promise, of entering into his rest, any of you, should seem to come short of it. For unto us the gospel was preached, as well as unto them, meaning the Jewish people. But the word preached to them did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in, in them that believe. But we which have believed, there it is, we which have believed do enter into rest. So faith brings us into a seated position. Faith brings us into rest. And we fight the enemy. We resist the enemy. We have victory over all our enemies from a resting, seated position in Jesus. So we really need to understand what does it mean to be seated? What does it mean to live in faith? Because now he says this. I'm going to finish reading verse 3. For we which have believed do enter into rest, as he says, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, 
although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. Now, this is really important because if you look down at verse 10, it says, for he that is entered into his rest, he also has ceased from his own works. Because earlier he talked about how God entered into his rest when he stopped working or creating the world. And then he said in David or in the Psalms, God promised a day of rest for his people. Therefore, it's the life of faith. Let us labor, therefore. Let me just reread verse 10. It's so powerful. For he that is entered into his rest, meaning God's rest, because it's not our rest, it's his rest we enter into. He also has ceased from his own works, as God did from his. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. So when we, when we come into a life of faith, we come into all that God Almighty has done become, really becomes ours. Think about what I just said. Like in, in Ephesians 1, verse 3, it begins with, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. How? How did that happen? Well, he did the work. He completed the work. On the cross, he said, it is finished. At that moment, we were delivered from our old life. Jesus entered into our history when he died for us. We entered into his history when he rose from, from the dead. So all our life is his life, and his life is our life. And we literally sit in his accomplishments. God looks upon us complete in Jesus. Having received all the blessings that belong to his son, become our blessings now. So he begins with, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places, and let's not forget the words, in Christ. So when, when we read those words, in Christ, in verse 3, it means these are his blessings that become our blessings now when we rest in his work, when we trust him for salvation, for life, for victory. Complete Surrender to the Lord, yielding completely unto him. He begins to live his life through us. So a seated position is really a life of faith. A restful position is a life of faith. And so in Isaiah, that's where you begin to understand Isaiah 30, because in Isaiah 30, verse 15, he talks about that. For thus saith the Lord God, the 
Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest shall you be saved. In quietness and confidence shall be your strength. So in returning to the Lord, in resting in his done work on Calvary, we find salvation. In that rest, there's quietness, there's confidence, there is strength against the enemy. It took me many years to understand what it means to surrender, to yield to the Lord. First, we have to be pliable. No faith of our own, no will of our own, we surrender to his faith. His faith lives through us now, becomes our faith. That's why it says, have the faith of God, not your own faith. So the, the problem is that humanity wants to help God. We want to do it and prove ourselves worthy of life eternal. We're not worthy. All our righteousness and our work is filthy rags. We're already fallen creatures. Only Jesus living through us, in and through us, gives us that position that God accepts and looks upon our life with favor. Adam fell. Why? Because he chose the way of the enemy. God gave him a choice between the tree of life and the knowledge of good, of good and evil. Think about he forsook all that God gave him, all that God promised him for one thing, the promise of divinity from the devil, which he could not have anyway. So Satan says, when you eat that fruit, you'll be like God you'll have divinity. He would have still had divinity had he just obeyed the Lord because God's intention was to transform Adam. Had he accepted the law of God and obeyed him and ate of the tree of life, he would have become divine eventually. But he refused it. What did Jesus promise us? Divinity. He said, I will that they whom thou hast given me be, be with me where I am that they may behold my glory, and the glory you've given me, I've given them. But divinity is only found in the Lord, not in us. We will never get that by ourselves. Never. We are sons of God. The divine life is in us. The Bible says in Peter, we've shared in his life. Now, all that God asks of us is one thing, yield. I've said it so many times, I'm going to say it again. Christianity doesn't say try or try harder to live the life. It says yield. Yield your members as instruments of righteousness. Yield your life. Surrender your body as a living sacrifice. That's all God looks for. And that's so simple. God looks for our surrender. All he wants is our life. He wants our body to become his temple. So it says in Romans, 
to give him our body as a sacrifice, acceptable sacrifice. So the Christian life is all about just surrender to the Lord, and anyone can do that. The simplest thing to do is do nothing. Surrender. <laughs> Let the Lord work his work in us. So in returning and rest, you'll be saved. In, in, in yielding, in surrender, let, let the Lord do it. Don't try to do it. You, you won't su- succeed anyway. So God brings his son's finished work and says to you, sit and enjoy. So he brings to you the finished work of Calvary, and then he says, now come sit down and enjoy it. To rest naturally, we have to set something aside. We have to carry ourselves into our position of complete yieldedness. So, you know, Adam began his life on the Sabbath. Isn't that amazing? Adam began his life on the Sabbath. So God introduced uh, his first creation to rest. Think about all he gave him and said, come and enjoy it. But Adam did not accept that, did he? In uh, Luke 14, 17, we have a beautiful, um, we have a beautiful invitation. It says, come for all things are now ready. Wow. God sends his servants out at supper time and says to those invited, come, all things are ready. And that's the Christian life. So the secret of deliverance from sin uh, is not to do something, but to rest in what God has done. I'm going to say it again. The secret of deliverance from bondage and from sin is not to go and do something. Rather, rest in what God has done. And God often waits for our storehouse of strength to be exhausted. And then we're delivered. So God sometimes just waits till you're done with trying, till your store of strength is exhausted. And then God can deliver us because he can't really get through when we're trying. You know, you've seen people, I've seen people, like in in our crusades, often I would watch them just so tied up in themselves, you know, trying to get God's attention and begging him and begging him and begging him. And they get so tied up with themselves, they can't seem to relax, let God do it. God cannot get through that. I'm going to tell you a story. I began to work with the Catherine Kuman Foundation in 1977. Miss Kuman was gone in 76. She went to heaven February of 76. February 20th of 77, I was invited to conduct her memorial service at Carnegie Music Hall, Pittsburgh. I never met her. Now, by the way, I share all this in, 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 the, in the book, my new book, Miss Mistress of the Anointing. And here I was, 
very nervous and scared. I had never preached to such an audience. Thousands of her people came to honor her memory at this beautiful building, Carnegie Music Hall in Pittsburgh. And I, Ben Hind, that nobody knew in those days, am the one to minister to that, those people that knew her, they didn't know me. And it was Maggie Hardner who heard from the Lord. Maggie was Catherine, who was my right-hand lady at the time. And she asked me to come and do it. And everyone was quite puzzled by that, so was I. Some of the preachers were actually upset with her, like why would she choose someone who nobody knew rather than them that Catherine knew, and I never met Miss Coleman. So you, you can imagine how scared I was. I show up to uh, the hotel where the, her office at that time was at, at the Carlton House Hotel in Pittsburgh. The seventh floor was all her, her, her offices. And I walk in and the chime comes on, I walk in, it was a beautiful place. And Maggie and I met for the first time. And Meg looks at me and she says, now don't you go pray, after she says all the hellos and tells me about the service, she says, don't you now go pray and get all tied up with yourself so God cannot use you. I had no clue what she said. But I remember those words, I'm gonna remember them till the day God takes me home. She said, don't you go pray now, get all tied up with yourself so God can't use you. Go take a nap. And I thought, this is the most unspiritual woman I ever met in my life. She was telling me basically, don't go pray, just go and rest. And I thought, no, I'm gonna go pray. I don't care what she says. And I, as you can imagine, got tied up in myself and got up on the platform and everybody's watching, looking at me and I'm scared to death up there. And I looked up, I said, dear Jesus, dear Jesus, I cannot do it, I cannot do it. And the Lord spoke and said, I'm glad, now I will. And the part of God hit, I learned my lesson. That was one of the first lessons I've learned about surrender. Because God won't use you just because you go and beg. You have to yield to the Lord. So from my early days, I learned a great, valuable lesson. Be ready in season, out of season. Be always ready. Always be in the presence of God. Don't ever neglect the day from being with, with the Lord. And when that door opens, you're completely restful, and all you do is yield. The greatest crusades I've ever had in my life was when I was completely relaxed and rested. William Branham said that years ago. He said the greatest times God ever used him was when he was completely relaxed. And that's why God in the Old Covenant says, I don't want anything flawed to the priesthood. He said, I'm not going to let anyone near my holy place if you're all, if you're there's something wrong. Well, that's just the way in the spirit, you know. God wants us at our best. We can't bet our best till we know how to yield to the Lord. I just gave you a treasure <laughs> because I'm telling you, as long as you sit, you're under grace. I'll say it again. As long as you sit, as long as you're resting, you're under grace. The moment you start working and walking on your own strength, you put yourself under the law. I'm going to say it again. You need to get this. A life of faith and rest keeps you under grace. But the second you get up and think you can do it by yourself, you bring yourself under the law. So just remember, rest in the Lord. And tomorrow I'm going to continue with this teaching because we're going to talk about standing, you know, Paul in Ephesians 4, 1 says, 
to the to the church. He says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vacation wherewith you are called. How amazing that he goes from a seated position to a walking position. That's the life of Jesus now. So we're going to start looking at that a little more tomorrow. What it means to be walking in the Lord. That's life in the Lord. We walk in his life. We walk in his life. So in Ephesians 1, Jesus is seated. Ephesians 2, you're seated. Stay there by surrender. Let the Lord work through you. Now Ephesians 4 says, start walking. But we walk from a seated position. And remember, as long as we're seated, we're under grace. The second we start walking, on our own strength, that is, or we, we leave that seated position, we bring ourselves under the law. I pray the Lord today is really speaking to you, that God will use you. Yeah, I know surrender is not something people are accustomed to because in the natural, we want to always do something. We, we think it has to be done somehow, and we have to be the one doing it. A man of God one day came up with his wife to a crusade I had years ago in Oklahoma. He said, please lay hands on me and ask God to help me surrender. I said, that's one thing you have to learn on your own. And later we talked at the end. I said, only children can surrender. When you are pliable, when you know how to completely let the Lord do it. Catherine Coleman taught me one thing, was I would watch her in her meetings. The minute she surrendered, the anointing came. I remember in Niagara Falls, New York, she spoke for two hours, and she was waiting and waiting and waiting. And people were sleeping. Actually, people fell asleep in that meeting because they were waiting for her to surrender. And suddenly, at one point in, the, in her message, she said, just a second. And at that moment, something happened in her heart, and she yielded to, to the Lord, and the whole place woke up. The glory of God filled that stadium in a minute, maybe even quicker than a minute. Now people are weeping. The same people who were sleeping are now up and crying because Jesus walked in. And I was so amazed by that. I talked later to a man named Dan Melachuk, who knew really, really, really well. I said, why did she preach for two hours? He said she would, she would wait for the Lord to quicken her. Wow. And I learned a lot about that, waiting upon the Lord. And so I decided that in, in, when I had crusades, that I would wait upon the Lord in my hotel room rather than on the platform when I'm preaching. And I'm telling you, I, I knew I'm to shut the world out by 2 p.m. I didn't allow any TV on, any radio on, any newspaper near me. Just cut the world completely out. And I would just minister to the Lord. At 7 p.m., I didn't even talk to the driver who took me to the stadium. I would get on, get on the platform, and God's power would be there. And I learned it takes time to 
to get the world out of you. It takes time to get the distractions out of you. So you can't surrender if there's too much going on in your life. If there's too much uh, confusion, too many things, you know, in your mind. You have to let them go. Be still. Be quiet. And let God quicken you. And then you can surrender. Lord, bless them with that. I pray that you'll bless them richly, richly with this teaching. Lord, as I continue tomorrow, that they'll even receive more than today. In Jesus' holy name, Lord, let your anointing descend. Touch and bless them for your glory. Yes, you are. I give you the praise, Lord. Bring them into that position, that life and that victory. In Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Well, I pray you really enjoyed this today. Don't miss tomorrow. Actually, tomorrow has so much information and so powerful. I'll be sharing things with you from the Word and my own experience on what it, it is to really walk in the life of Jesus. Like, what does that really mean? All right. It's time to give to the Lord's work. It's the command of God, saints. And when you have given Him your heart, it's easy to give Him your money. So easy to give God our money when we have given Him everything. And then, you know, when you give Him your finances, He protects you, He blesses you, He uh, prospers you. And your future is secure financially. The whole world today is scared about the future financially. Not us. I've not seen the righteous forsaken or received begging for bread. When you sow in the kingdom and you trust the Lord that he will bless that seed and give it back to you, nothing to worry about whatsoever. Your life and future is secure in Jesus. So you can sow your seed on the platform you're watching me on. You can go to our website, benhin.org. Or you can simply text BHM45777. Don't miss tomorrow. You'll love it. Much love to you. Shalom.